0: Today on Octal FM, we talk about our favourite games consoles throughout the years and discuss what we think makes them interesting.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Octal FM. I'm Gelada. And I'm Sefran. And today we're going to talk all about our favorite video games consoles and why we think that they particularly stand out in
0: the history of video game consoles uh, and why we think they're great. One of the things we want to preface is that this is not a best of list. So there's going to be a lot of omissions on here that you're going to be like, oh my god, I can't believe you talked about that console. This is what our personal favorites are and maybe some more interesting reasons as to why we've chosen those consoles over some maybe more safer options
1: yeah we've picked consoles that you know have something about them that we think makes them notable just like our real-time strategy games episodes these are really not you know we're not like these are the best ones and all the other ones are worse they all have important places and important histories and we think that these are interesting and worth discussing
0: one of the other things as well is that there's no real order to them. Um, we've ordered them in such a way to try and keep them kind of different and fresh from each one because the there is a slight pattern in some of the choices <laughs> and there could have been a lot more of a pattern had we have not stopped ourselves. Um, in fact, yeah. we probably could have done a list entirely of only one particular type of consoles, which I'm sure you're going to guess at the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. Because um, we're a bit biased. But uh, So there's no yeah. real, like, ranking to this either it's just us discussing them in an interesting manner
1: yeah and also although a lot of this is to do with the games that were on the consoles we're also talking particularly about the consoles themselves and you know the roles that they filled and we are also missing out we're well, not missing out but we are not including the pc in this because it's not a console it's not a video game it's not a purpose-built device
0: um for playing video games uh, it's a very multi-purpose I mean, device which is interesting because I, I think we could both agree that it's probably our primary gaming yeah. machine, probably for like our entire lives almost. <laughs> uh, like I've been playing PC games ever since like, well, I say PC, computer games since like the Amiga 600 yeah, um, back in the day. And I know obviously you've been playing PC for a long time. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're missing a big part of what makes our gaming identity, but we also don't think it's very fair because the PC is never not been a thing because you'd always it's always been upgraded it's not like a a a definite this is the end of this consoles generation yeah exactly and we're also going to
1: talk about both uh home consoles you know video games consoles that you plug into a tv as well as handhelds you know and portable consoles that you can take around with you
0: I think after discussing some of the um, the show notes with you earlier, I almost would like to maybe do another episode on portable gaming as a whole because I think there's a lot more to discuss than we, we're going to touch on here, hmm. fairly briefly on the the few that we've got. Yeah, I Spoiling think there right. there are some portable consoles on this list. <laughs> exactly,
1: but yeah, where to? Actually, in fact, the very first one on our on our list is a portable console. Oh, mm-hmm. well, we've also kind of split this up into consoles that I particularly think are, you know, my favourites and consoles that are yours. And also we're going to end with one that is sort of, we both agree is, you know, is a super important and interesting and, and one of our favourite um, consoles. But my sort of first choice when I was thinking about this was the original Nintendo Game Boy. Now, the Game Boy originally came out in europe in 1990 which i mean that's a long time ago uh, and also is i was only one when it came out <laughs> so it's not like it's not something that i remember the launch of um, no, but i either. but i still had one um because it had so much longevity that you know it was still relevant when i was looking to have a have a console have a handheld console and actually the game boy as a family you know, encompassing the Game Boy, the Game Boy Pocket, and the Game Boy Color. The Game Boy Color was discontinued in 2003. Uh, so
0: it was, go- you know, it was going for uh, 13 years. Which is pretty mad because the statistic you wrote here as well is that the kind of next generation of Nintendo handheld consoles with the Game Boy Advance and all their kind of like mm. um, derivatives and similar versions of came out in 2001.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, they were still, you know, they were still selling Game Boys. I had a look at the sales um, sheets and they were still selling Game Boys when or Game Boy Colors when the GBA came out. And it sold also f- for ninety dollars originally, the original Game Boy, which is you know really cheap even back then. It's cheap, and I couldn't actually find a UK release price. I don't know if you remember, well, not remember, but I don't know if you know how much it was. But if any, if anyone listening knows,
0: please let me know because I searched around and I couldn't find it anywhere. I, I want to say it's going to be something on the lines of like seventy, eighty pounds. Yeah, I think, I think so. Uh, which I think, if you adjust for inflation, it's probably like a hundred and seventy quid now, yeah. which is. About reasonable for a handheld console, even by today's standards. Yeah, it is, and I think the
1: the reason why the Game Boy in my in my mind is so important is because it really demonstrates Nintendo's thinking as a manufacturer. (laughs) In that, it was terrible. Like the hardware and the and the implementation was pretty terrible. It had a really horrible green to grey screen with no backlight. So you had to play in direct sunlight or under a lamp and it was very underpowered and it was quite bulky and quite big. But the thing was, was that that didn't hinder it because what that meant was that it had much better battery life than its competitors uh, at the time. I think Nintendo kind of realized that that was more important for a handheld, you know, if it's if it's going to be portable, if it's going to go into people's backpacks and be carried around, then it needs to last more than just, you know, a couple of hours.
0: Def- I think one of the things that they wanted to make sure was the case was that it was affordable because, mm. you know, they didn't splash out on expensive Uh, you know levels of hardware like obviously you got your cheap screen and uh, a fairly simple sound system that kind of thing Mm. no backlight as well Uh, making it a you know, easy for people to kind of pick up and not like break the bank, but also they wanted to make sure it was also quite rugged as well. Like one of the things that the of Game course. Boy was quite famed for was its reliability and how much punishment it could take. Like there's that famous one of one that went into like the Gulf War in 1990 and got like hit by a napalm strike and came out fine, it's still working.
1: That Game Boy is on display at the Nintendo store in New York. I've seen it. Yes, have it on that's display. it.
0: Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, and, and that kind of just goes to show that that's what Nintendo obviously cared about was that they know it's a handheld which means that people are going to be moving around with which means it's going to get potentially going to get knocked about mm. so i mean it's it's more reliable than your modern day smartphone is And nintendo were doing this back in 1990
1: yeah exactly so it had a couple of competitors at the time um it had the well after it was released it had the sega game gear uh and also it had the Atari Lynx and it's funny like when you go back far enough you know you go back to the early 90s and Atari is a, is a manufacturer that yeah, you Yeah that discuss. was still a
0: viable name in the game <laughs> industry whereas um, now it's mostly just for things for hipsters to wear on t-shirts. <laughs> exactly
1: um, or to be used in uh, song lyrics but Yeah, Yeah, the Atari Lynx was sort of the other competitor. And actually, the Atari Lynx was vastly more powerful, like four times more powerful than the Game Boy. Uh, And it was actually a 16-bit console, like a Super Nintendo, rather than an 8-bit console, like the Game Boy or the NES. Which just blows your mind because
0: you're thinking, well, why didn't that just do better then, than yeah. the game than the, 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 the Game Boy did? And I guess it's just a combination of like pricing point, games, you know, the the ease of which the console was to develop for is probably a very big thing, part of it, I imagine.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, r- you can't really talk about the game boy without not acknowledging the fact that it was really all about tetris Um, and there's a really fascinating history around tetris which we're not going to go into but it sold 35 million copies on the game boy alone like forgetting all the other places that tetris ended up at the time the only game that had sold more was super mario brothers on the nes like it was just there was nothing else like even then and there were some other really great games as well on the game boy that you know just just made it so successful and cemented it in Um, there was obviously Pokemon the original Pokemon red and blue or Pokemon wait which one was which one replaced green well, which it was, yeah, it was and red, red and
0: blue. Uh, red, I think it was blue replaced green. Yeah. Uh, in the w- Western. So mountains. red
1: and green in in Japan. Yeah, so you had Tetris, Pokemon. You also had Super Mario Land, which is a really quirky Mario game. But
0: yeah, <laughs> I, honestly, it's fantastic. I mean, if you go back and play it now, it's like this isn't really a Mario game. but <laughs> It's really fun. Like, yeah, I really enjoy. And Super Mario Land Two, the, the is it the Wario six, six six golden coins. coins? Six. That's the one. Coins. With, that was the first game Wario was in.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, and you also had Link's Awakening as well, which is, a, you know, a, a portable uh, Zelda game. And it was a
0: full-on, you know, fully-fledged Zelda game. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a small little arcade arcadey one. It was a proper kind of, like, mm. ex- exploration-based Nintendo... Sorry, uh, Zelda experience. Absolutely.
1: but But, yeah, so I think... The Game Boy to me was important, you know, and I really enjoyed playing. the game. I had a Game Boy and I had a Game Boy Color and there were just so many good games on it. It was such a good portable, you know, it really just distilled handheld, even that early on in the world of handhelds. It really distilled it down uh, and showed that Nintendo's thinking when it all comes together, they really get what you need a video games console to have in order to be successful.
0: And it really did cement their legacy as the king of the game, of the portable console, definitely. Because I mean, there's been many attempts over the years. Um, you know, you had most recently you've got like the PlayStation Vita trying to kind of compete with the 3DS and not really doing a great job of it. And then you had things like um, the Nokia Engage, yep. like the very early attempts at like mo- uh, melding mobile phone technology with kind of video game consoles. Uh, and then you had the game that we're going to talk about next, which, which is uh, the Sega Game Gear, which you did mention uh, slightly yes. during your Game Boy kind of discussion there. This is one of my favorite choices, uh, which is kind of interesting because like we both came to our favorite video game consoles from opposite sides of the war almost, wasn't it, back <laughs> yeah. in the day. And I, I just have a love for the Game Gear. I appreciate that it is certainly not a perfect console and in many ways it's just vastly outclassed by the Game Boy but it just has so much quirkiness to it and so much character and I had one personally over a Game Boy uh, when I was young Uh, and it has a very very special place in my heart for it so that's why it gets inclusion on this list for me so it was released in Europe in 1991 which was like about what I think it was eight or nine months after the Game Boy is that right yeah I think something like that it was it was pretty soon after definitely and I mean imagine they were probably being developed at very similar times when maybe Sega decided to kind of release theirs after the Game Boy to say, look what ours can do by comparison. And it was it was costed at ninety nine pounds and ninety nine pence, um which was slightly more than the Game Boy uh the, than the Game Boy was. And in today's money that equates to about two hundred quid, which, you know, it's pretty expensive mm. for a handheld console, but then I guess you you do pay about that for a 3DS now. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So you know, I, I guess it's still kind of relative. Mm. And it was it was hundred percent released in direct competition with the Game Boy because this is this is during the kind of the console wars where it was like Sega and Nintendo were at each other's throats, mm. uh, and it very much was a, a competition based thing rather than now where Nintendo have just kind of like floated above the competition of the gaming industry. <laughs> yeah, but in so many ways, it was so much more. Advanced, ironically, it wasn't actually, and we can talk about that in a second. <laughs> um, than it was the Game Boy had a full color screen, you know, completely hunt all the colors. It was like however many colors it was. Uh, it was backlit, so you could play under any lighting conditions, which was such a big thing for a kid. Because for me, when I was playing my Game Gear, it was when I was, you know, in the car when mm. I was like on a long car journey and I was bored and it doesn't matter what time of day it is in the car like I don't have to strain to try and put it under like the, the streetlights as they went by at night because I could just see them I remember like being in the car
1: trying to play on the Game Boy or even the Game, exactly. Game Boy Color and you're like I cannot see because no and
0: then you had to buy those stupid like torch add-ons <laughs> yeah, that kind I of had onto the top. <laughs> exactly you didn't need that with the Game Gear you know it was backlit it was landscape as well so you mm. got like kind of a, a much nicer aspect ratio with the games uh, which usually felt a bit nicer with some more action-based games like Sonic for example which went, you know, side-scrolling rather than, like, Tetris, which is obviously puzzle-based. And I wasn't allowed a Game Boy when I was younger, interestingly enough i i I was very much into my my games and the first game console i ever had i think was a super nintendo but before that i had a game gear and my mum decided that i was to have a game gear because it was just better in her mind all the marketing and all the things she saw was like why would you not get a game gear it's just better Mm. and you can see why she thought that as well like the game boy was far more popular and it was much hotter and like you know it had like the you know the big games like tetris and mario but the Game Gear just made more sense, so she bought me one and I loved it. Like, I hated her it for it at the time because all my friends had Game Boys and I wanted to be cool to <laughs> have a Game Boy too, but like it was just better. And I really, really loved it. But I also understand now, in hindsight, that it really did have its limitations. So, the big one, and I think this is probably why Sega never really bothered with the handheld market afterwards. I think they did one other handheld afterwards, I they did, say. they did a um, what was it called? I don't remember it was the genesis nomad the nomad oh wow so yeah they had the genesis nomad i guess but it never really seemed to kind of like be able to compete with game boy like the game gear tried to at least compete with the game boy Mm. and one of its main limiting factors with that was its battery life and that made a huge difference so the Game Gear was supposed to be a portable console, but realistically, it wasn't portable. Uh, it needed six AA batteries to run. Which, I mean, think back then, six AA's—you know—cost quite a lot of money unless you get like good rechargeable ones. And even then, the battery technology wasn't the best as it is now. And they only lasted from three to five hours from full charge. <laughs> just think about it: three to five hours is nothing. That's less than a car journey in some instances, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. Whereas, it, by comparison, the the original Game Boy only needed four double A's, which later on changed for the two triple A batteries with the <laughs> Game Boy Pocket, that lasted from anywhere to fifteen to thirty hours. Yeah. You know, you that just that, that's such a massive thing when you consider the fact that it's a handheld console. So the console relied very heavily on things like power leads uh, and being plugged into either the mains or a car, like cigarette lighter or something like that. And that was one of the big things that definitely limited its like sales potential, I think, because a lot of people would have seen the fact that it wasn't really portable and then would have just gone with the Game Boy for the portability of it.
1: I mean, I guess it was kind of, it depends on what you sort of want from a portable handheld. Like, you know, the fact that you can play some of your favorite games, and you can play like some cool Sonic games and stuff like that in the car. Or, you know, uh, or you can take it somewhere when you go and stay somewhere and yeah, you have to plug it in, but you, you know, it's still way more portable than your, your Sega uh, Mega Drive sat under your TV.
0: (laughs) It's almost like a kind of a a halfway point between home console and handheld uh I, I suppose you could afford constantly having new batteries put into it guess <laughs> it was portable but like i i basically only ever played it plugged in but it had some really really cool like games but it also had some really awesome little features as well add-on and one of the ones that i i kind of researched into this episode was it had a tv tuner <laughs> how cool is that that's so cool. you could attach a tv aerial to the game gear and watch like terrestrial tv back when it was still all, all analog that's so cool you know and that's so cool yeah like but you could be that cool kid at school that went into the playground or during your break and took your Game Gear out and watched TV. I'm not, I like, mean, cool, is cool on. the right word? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> Maybe we went to a different school. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it had a good game library as well. Like, it had a game library almost to to rival Nintendo at this point before Nintendo just became the juggernaut that it was. Uh, it had, like, all the Sonic games on it. Some of which were ports of the Master System games, but some of them which were original ones, which like uh, Sonic Chaos, which was like its own game. Mm. I think it did get created for the Genesis as well, but it was originally made for the Game Gear. You had the Shining Force games, which are some old school RPGs. Um, Mm. You don't really hear about the Shining Force anymore. Uh, The Shinobi games, which are really, really good. I don't know if if you remember the Shinobi games at all. Had a very similar kind of Ninja Gaiden feel to them. And then you had the Disney games. And this was back when Disney games were really good. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it had, like, The Lion King on it, which is, like, arguably one of the best Disney games they've made. Had uh, Mickey's Castle of, of Illusions. And there was another Mickey game on there as well, Mickey Mouse game. You know, and I think it had Landed on there as well. Like, it had some really, really good Disney games. It's not like its games library wasn't up to scratch. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's... I think
1: the Game Gear, it was too advanced for its time. You know, like that that battery life i think was the issue they were really focusing on trying to put in so much power and so much or it or so many features hardware features because actually i when i was doing some research for this and i was looking up the game boy and the game gear um You know, people always think that the Game Gear was way more powerful than a Game Boy, but actually they both used basically the same processor.
0: Which blows my mind.
1: (laughs) So the actually, and actually the Game Boy Color also still used that same processor. And so that kind of then makes you think, oh, okay, it kind of makes a little bit more sense. But it was really all about that really good screen, which actually... The other interesting thing is it had the same resolution screen as a Game Yeah, Boy. that boggles my mind that it does. <laughs> like you, looking at the two in comparison, you just wouldn't think it did. But I
0: mean, yeah, they the did. Game
1: Gear just had a much better quality screen, um, and it had a backlight, and that was really what killed that those batteries, those double A's that you, were, that you it was just yeah. it was just chewing through, um, because it had a you know it had a whole light bulb in there um, to light it All
0: up, or nickel batteries as well. No, no uh, lithium ion
1: yeah, batteries yet. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I think it. It was it was a really great um console, and you know, and this was the point where Sega was making really great games as well and great consoles, you know. So the game gear was was technically very good from that point of view.
0: In a way, Sega did the opposite to Nintendo. When Nintendo decided to keep things simple and cheap and easy and reliable, Sega went, let's use all the fanciest technology <laughs> we possibly can right now. And unfortunately, it could have been a good. It could have worked had the market maybe gone their way, but the market seemed to prefer the 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 cheap Mm. and reliability uh, and the ease of use of the Game Boy.
1: Yeah, and actually, it's interesting because our next console, which was also from Nintendo, then flips away from Nintendo's typical roots of being the the underpowered console. And that's the Nintendo 64, because the Nintendo 64 was released at the same, around the same sort of time as the PlayStation, but it, it was released after the PlayStation, wasn't it? It definitely was.
0: Yes, I believe it was, yeah. yeah.
1: But unlike the Game Boy, which was underpowered, the Nintendo 64 was more powerful, generally speaking, than, than its rivals. And... That's I, I think that's primarily because it came late on in that in that generation. But still, that's very interesting that Nintendo sort of flip flopped in, in their approach. And I think for me, the Nintendo 64, there's so many things about it that were sort of firsts or there were things about like, again, Nintendo thinking really hard about what they wanted a video games console to be.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: So, to give some background, the Nintendo 64, it came out in Europe in 1997. So, we've jumped forward seven years from the release of the Game Boy and six years from the release of the Game Gear. And it was £250 in 1997, which is about...
0: Which is bananas. Which It, it was about £430 today. Which is... Uh, could you imagine... The like sony or microsoft releasing their, their, their ps4 and the xbox one now and saying we would like 430 yeah. of your money to just buy the console not the game not an extra controller <laughs> just the console yeah. you would think they were mad
1: i mean it's 150 pounds more like you know adjusted for inflation than the nintendo switch and that actually makes it the most expensive nintendo console ever Probably one of the most expensive consoles overall. Well, that said, the PlayStation in 1994 launched at £299. Wow. I mean, both consoles, I, if I remember rightly, and I didn't check this, but I I seem to remember that they were quite heavily discounted after launch. Yeah,
0: I, I think they came out to a very high price and then suddenly yeah. came down quite significantly, which, which happens a lot, but, like, that's a big difference.
1: What's really interesting about the Nintendo 64 is that it was still using cartridges. It wasn't using CDs. When the PlayStation was using CDs, um, you know, three years before, it was still, they still went with cartridges. And I think the, the sort of, the theory goes that Nintendo were just terrified about people copying their games. And rightly so, because that's what everyone did with their PlayStations.
0: Yeah, definitely. Who didn't have a chipped
1: PlayStation. <laughs> exactly. But at the same time, it made a huge difference to the feel of the console because- mm, Very. It- the Nintendo 64 had no load times it had no boot up sequence it, and in fact it was probably the, one of the last consoles to, right, to have no boot up sequence because the GameCube yeah, so. had, a, had a boot up the Playstation had a boot sequence
0: yeah, yeah it did Yeah, I think that was the last turn on and play event and that started to kind of the change between when consoles were almost a big toy yeah. less of a computer yeah exactly like the Nintendo 64 itself did nothing
1: by it on its own it needed a yeah. cartridge plugged in but As a result, it really reduced the load times, um, which is why it didn't have to boot up. But at the same time, the cartridges were tiny, you know, in terms of how much stuff you could put on them. When I looked up the numbers, I couldn't believe it. At worst, like the very first Nintendo 64 cartridges, because they varied in size. They were 165 times smaller than a PlayStation CD.
0: (laughs) Which is just boggles the mind, doesn't it? And
1: even the biggest N64 cartridges, which was like Resident Evil, like one of the late Resident Evil games or something like that, was still 10 times smaller than a PlayStation CD. Um, But they had a read rate. Like, you could get the data off the cartridge. The console could, like, muck around with the cartridge 170 times faster than a PlayStation CD. And so that basically meant that every cartridge you put in acted like it was like memory inside the console itself active all the time rather than having to be read off of a disc by an optical exactly uh, an optical reader so that made it exceedingly fast and and you know you could do some really clever tricks with development to get you know to do some really interesting things and make the games look better, and then you know there's more powerful. The textures are better, the models are better because you can load them in and out from the cartridge so much faster, and you can also write back to the cartridge, so you didn't have to have a memory card for save games. Um, mm. You could just save onto the cartridge. But I think ultimately the cartridges were what were the downfall for the N64. It made the games very expensive. Yeah, I,
0: they were very expensive on launch. I think they were like seventy pounds per game yeah, they at launch, d- which is just that. obscenely expensive.
1: That also meant they were difficult to manufacture and, and expensive yeah. to manufacture, which meant that there were less developers, you know, necessarily interested in doing that. Yeah um you there were no demo discs you know this is from the time where the where you had the playstation magazines that had demo discs on yeah we, they
0: were killing it with demo discs back then i think we've mentioned demo discs at one point or other on the podcast before we did it in our community management game that's it yeah and and they're so important yeah because they really drove that um that kind of public perception of the console getting getting the games into people's hands as quick as possible was so important back yeah
1: then. exactly and it also meant that with no, you know, with hardly any space, you couldn't have any nice music or uh, voiceovers. There were no, you know, no games on the Nintendo 64 really had um, vocal, you know, uh, speech no. or anything like that.
0: And if they did, it was usually quite short and like one line type things rather than exactly. full voiced Works exactly.
1: Um. So that really, you know, changed the feel of the Nintendo sixty four compared to the PlayStation and the types of games as well. You know. And so actually, the you know the the most popular games on the Nintendo sixty four were um, Mario sixty four, uh, Mario Kart, GoldenEye, which is a really interesting one, the Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time, and uh, Super Smash Brothers. And what I think is really interesting there is that those the top five best selling games on the Nintendo sixty four and three out of 5 of them were multiplayer Mario Kart Golden Eye and Super Smash Brothers and i think that looking back that is really because the nintendo 64 had four player split screen and you know support for four uh, controllers whereas the playstation only had two uh, you needed a multi-tap right to get more than two
0: yeah you needed to get like an extra multi-tap but the problem with that of course is that you use one of the slots to create it and so it was a whole mess to try and get more than two players on a playstation exactly so i think that really you know that
1: showed nintendo and and showed you know everyone that the, the nintendo 64 was a very multiplayer you know local multiplayer heavy console and i think that's where people's fond memories for the nintendo 64 come definitely, from as well definitely GoldenEye, you know, is it, which was a version of the of the James Bond film um, that had such a good multiplayer and is sort of heralded as one of the most important, you know, sort of multiplayer games and first person yeah, shooters definitely. of all time.
0: I mean that 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 was the game which really did kickstart the first person shooter revolution on on consoles. Yeah, because uh, obviously you can talk about things like uh, kind of like Quake uh, and Doom on the PC, mm. but. Goldeneye really spearheaded the way for games like Halo uh, and the Call of Duty series um, and definitely invented the the modern console FPS.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there were a couple of other things that were really firsts for for video games consoles that were on the N64. Yeah, definitely. It was one of the first consoles to have an analog stick, um, which is now like just standard. Just part of the console, yeah. And it was also... Pretty much the first ever console to have some kind of force, uh, like force feedback rumble facility in the controller. Yeah. You had to have a like whole extra pack, but still like attached to the controller. But n- nonetheless, that then paved the way, and now you know rumble is just standard in in c- controllers. You know, but that, that was Nintendo doing so that That's so typical
0: of Nintendo. Yeah, that it is really typical of Nintendo because mm. they the console was very standard. They they had the co- the cartridges which they were comfortable with and they were happy with, and they had developers that they trusted. But then they allowed themselves to be kind of wacky and weird with those little add-ons. So things like the rumble feature was probably the the main one. But then he had other weird things like you could add uh, a microphone for things for games like Hey You, (laughs) Pikachu. And you could add the Game Boy cartridge reader for things like Pokemon Stadium. And then you even had things like the RAM extension port, which you needed for games like um, Legend of Zelda, Ocarina, not Ocarina of Time, uh, Majora's Mask and Donkey Kong 64. In fact, I think you had to have an expansion pack to make donkey kong 64 work it came with one but because it you came needed with it. one and i think they made it a loss because of that as well like they sold, <laughs> i'm like sure they did yeah and i believe it, it looks like kind of a tangential story the only reason that it had to have one is because without it the game crashed even though it shouldn't do and the developers <laughs> couldn't work out in time why on earth it crashed without this expansion pack so they just said we'll just have to sell it with the expansion pack
1: that's that's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so for me, you know, the Nintendo 64, a lot of firsts, uh, a lot of signs of Nintendo doing, you know, what they want and what they think is right. But ultimately let down by that in some ways um, and sort of left maybe behind. Maybe too old fashioned in some ways, yeah. maybe
0: too experimental in others. Yeah, exactly. Whereas the PlayStation seems to, I'd say the PlayStation was the first modern mainstream gaming game. Machine, mm. which more and more people came to understand as what this is what gaming is going to be, and it certainly is what gaming has become, isn't it? Like the PlayStation was certainly the progenitor of like the Xbox PlayStation kind of rivalry now.
1: Yeah, of course, and and also um, you know our one of our other favourites
0: or your one of your favourites in particular, which is the PlayStation Four, right? Yeah, I mean one of the things that we were talking about beforehand, in the show was that we, it was quite a Nintendo orientated list. Uh, Because, I mean, I I almost wanted to add on, uh, like, the Nintendo DS because it's so important. But it's it's not fair to have that kind of discussion about, like, important and favorite games consoles without talking about Sony properly. Because although Microsoft have had a very important role with Xbox 360, particularly in my opinion, my experience with Xbox consoles is incredibly limited, whereas I have owned... um, three of the four different PlayStations. Mm. I only only didn't own a PlayStation 2, which some people will be balking at because that was like the most popular one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I... I Think the PS4 is a really great console, and I think it, the only reason it doesn't get talked about in this kind of um, discussion more regularly is just because it's the current console. It's like mm. the most up to date one. Yeah. So a few background figures like we've done so far is that it was released in Europe in November th- 2013. So it feels like it's been out for like a week, but it's actually been out for like three yeah. and a half years, yeah. which boggles my mind. And again, a high price that it came down quick. Three hundred and fifty pounds it cost when it came out. Mm. Like. In considering now, you can go into like a retailer in in the UK and buy one a slim version for two hundred pounds. It's amazing how quickly these consoles come down in price, isn't it? Mm. This was a direct competitor to the Xbox One, and those kind of Sony Microsoft have been a kind of like a, in war, as it were, since like the the PS3 versus the Xbox 360. Realistically, because I feel the the original Xbox was kind of like a weird outlier. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it was it was kind of a the weird kooky console, mm. and then the Xbox 360 really kind of like made a very very strong we're here to stay sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I feel made the PS4 almost more accessible, especially to make good, interesting games for, was the fact that the PS3 was really difficult to make games for. Mm. Like, it was notoriously hard to code for because they they used some really cool and funky kind of um, chip architecture and the way all their computing worked. And hell, we were talking about this in the show notes, was that it allowed you to use uh, Linux software out of the box if you wanted Mm. to. You could install your own Linux um, OS on it, which is really cool. But the PS4 basically they did the opposite and they went right let's keep it simple it's a very pcs architecture and now games can be coded for it so much simpler and so much easier uh which does make a big difference as well because more developers are now more inclined to want to develop exclusively for the playstation rather than kind of hedge their bets by you know making them making their game for all consoles uh, and one of the things that's really important to talk about the PlayStation, well, one of the reasons why I think it's so um, successful, especially by comparison to the Xbox One, was that on the lead up to the um, release of the current gen consoles, the marketing behind Sony was fantastic, but the marketing behind Xbox was awful.
1: Yeah, they had some really terrible blunders, right? We were talking about this before we started. You know, there was all the stuff around the Connect with the Xbox One. Yeah.
0: very skynet
1: wasn't it yeah and all the stuff around you know being able to share copies of games with your friends you know or but you know the second-hand games market and stuff like that you know microsoft were basically like we're going to kill the secondhand games market for our console which you
0: can understand why they want to because they don't get any money from that at all Mm. in fact it almost takes money away from them because people aren't buying new copies of games which directly goes to microsoft but then at the same time, that's such a core part of the audience now. Like, so many people want secondhand games because they want to play a game, trade it in, get a different game, mm. you know? Like, not everyone wants to keep their collection. And and Sony really decided to run with this and basically, you know, said, no, you can own a game and you can play it, and then if you want to lend it to your friend, you can do it. That's the end of it. Yeah. So, they really made the most of the release window going up to it. And that showed in the sales figures as well, like ps4 outsold xbox one by so much uh within the first kind of year and a half Mm. i imagine it's much closer closer of a thing now i imagine it's a much more kind of like similar sales figures now yeah but the ps4 certainly won that release window as it were thanks to great marketing
1: yeah actually anecdotally i feel like everyone i speak to who plays console games now they always seem to have a ps4 like so few people have an xbox one just sort of like in my social circle of of, you know people that
0: have a console which is interesting well one of the things that they've got in their kind of like marketing bump is ps4 is for the players Mm. you'll have heard that in like their marketing and i think that's almost true to some extent like obviously that's just a marketing thing to try and get people to buy their console but i think they have thoughts about that because microsoft has gone for a very one machine in your living room design like they want it to be everything for you which is good But then they've kind of sacrificed the games, which is what people buy these (laughs) things for, you know? But with that said, I I can't say PS4 doesn't have all that multimedia stuff because it does, and it does it in a really good way as well. Like, one of the things that I use my PS4 for the most at the moment, actually, because I play quite a lot of PC gaming at the moment, is I use it for my multimedia device. So it has my Plex server on it. Well, it has access to my Plex server, I should say, you know. Um, And it has access to all kind of, like, different streaming services like twitch and youtube which you can upload to from your playstation which i think is absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. like seamlessly built into the console and it has really good social media integration as well uh if, if you want to kind of do things like um, posting what games you're playing you want to like send invites out for games to play with people on facebook straight away you can do it's really it's really easy mm. and if that's your primary method of gaming which for a lot of people it's going to be that's really important because you have that on a PC because you just alt-tab to your browser and go on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with, if you're on a PlayStation, it, it's still really easy to do that. They've they've really thought about that ease of integration. However, with that said, I, I, I really do like the PS4. I think it's less of an interesting console than the other three we've talked about so far. But I think it's just a really strong console.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that it's very yeah it's a very video game console console which in this era like you say with like microsoft trying to do so much stuff and so much about just general entertainment because video games are more accessible but also there's you know people want everything and people you know consume lots of media and that kind of thing so for sony to be like no we are really you know it's just this is primarily about video games guys. And I think that that is very, you know, that's quite refreshing and it's quite nice. And actually it's kind of interesting because of course, Sony is an entertainment company, not a you know yeah. video games console company. So to come round and, and change their tack in terms of how they're um, marketing it is really interesting. Um,
0: I and mean, one of the things that I haven't really written in the notes here, but I think is very true is they have the backing of the Japanese developers a lot more mm. like, xbox is just such not so not a thing in japan yeah like i think the the sales figures is that like the playstation 2 was outselling the xbox one you know (laughs) just i I don't know if that's exactly true but that's kind of like what the figures are it's like the 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 xbox one is just a very 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 specialist thing in in japan Mm. and that does make a difference because obviously a large part of the development cycle is, is is japanese so if you're not getting that like a huge percentage of developers on board with your console, you're not getting as many good games, which means you're not going to have as many games to market for your console. So that's another area that Sony has a, a leg up. Um, but it does have its faults, don't get me wrong. Uh, one of the things that I get really frustrated with is its controllers, especially the base ones, like the the, the launch ps4 the controllers for uh run out of battery so quickly mm-hmm. like they die within like i'd say about 10 hours worth of use which is not that much when you consider how long say the ps3 and xbox 360 controllers last well i mean a game boy lasted longer right <laughs> well exactly like a full games console can last longer than a modern day controller with like modern day rechargeable batteries, in it. <laughs> and it's cool that it has all the gimmicky features in it. Like it has its touchpad, and it has its microphone and speaker, and it has its like gyroscopic sensors in it and all that. But a lot of the time, I use it for like remote control access. Yeah. To like control my like my my YouTube or my Plex or whatever, and it just drains battery like a, absolutely nobody's business. Mm. And, um, so that's one of the kind of criticisms for it, but. It is an otherwise fantastic console, and it does some cool features as well. Like, one of the things I want to touch on very briefly is it has things like its um, PSV to remote play, which is very cool, Mm. where you can use your PSV to play your PlayStation 4 games uh, within the same network, which is really cool. So cool. And fairly recently, within the past, like, couple of months, I think, they've added, like, the PlayStation... What's it it called? Is it PlayStation Uh, Now? I think it's PlayStation Now is what it's called, yeah. Mm. And it's like a, a streaming service. So you don't own the game. You kind of just stream the game through your PlayStation off of a different PlayStation, I guess. Yeah, a, a, play, a PlayStation in a data center somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And you to rent the games in a way. or And you can play kind of older games as well. It allows you to play things like PlayStation 2 games, which you can't do natively, unfortunately, um, like you could on the PlayStation 3, which mm. was a shame. Because on certain... Play- certain models of PlayStation 3 you could play PlayStation 2 games yes the very first one basically had a whole PS2 inside it (laughs) yeah it did which is the one I owned uh, specifically for that reason I I bought a second hand version of it but I I just really like the PlayStation 4 I think it doesn't get enough praise because it's one of the current consoles Mm. and I think it does deserve that recognition by gamers for saying it is a good console overall and it could have gone a lot worse had they have just kind of gone with the Microsoft approach of things
1: yeah It's interesting that we haven't mentioned them too much but the controllers that you use when you use your video games consoles are a big part of what makes a console successful or not and you know we've talked a little bit about analog sticks and a little bit about wireless controllers like the ps4 going back to sort of earlier consoles and our joint favorite um console invented the wireless controller right um and that was the nintendo gamecube because it had yeah, the, the wave bird which yeah, was
0: I, I had a wave you had a
1: wave bird and i think it probably had a better battery life than a ps4 controller <laughs>
0: oh absolutely i don't remember changing my wave batteries very often at all yeah exactly
1: um but yeah that the nintendo gamecube was released in europe in may 2002 which is actually quite a little bit after its japanese release right there were eight, eight months Yeah and it was it oh, was barely. in direct competition obviously with the PlayStation 2 and the Xbox the original Xbox and it was cheap right like it was it was 130
0: pounds uh, I mean I didn't think about this at the time because I we, we both bought one, mm. like, uh, and for me, and I imagine for you as well, it was the first console I bought with my own money yes. as well, like, it wasn't something I had to ask my parents for for Christmas or something, you know, because I think we were, like, 15, and we'd, we, we, you know, we had part-time jobs, so we could afford things ourselves once, and I, at the time, didn't consider it, because it's, like, every pound was precious to me, but, like, in hindsight, £129 on release is really cheap. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Like, that's less than the price of, like, a handheld console, yeah. you know, absolutely so so i suppose that made it a really accessible console for people because i I imagined on release the playstation 2 was more expensive and the xbox certainly was
1: yeah and i think it's interesting that although the price made it accessible nintendo was still very much targeting the core gamer audience with the gamecube i mean apart from the fact that it was purple and it had a a handle on the back which was really cool. The handle was cool. <laughs> it was so cool. But apart from that it was still very like core gamer, you know, and it was the last one really that Nintendo did that was kind of core gamer because after the GameCube you had the Wii, which obviously is, you know, a very different type of <laughs> video games console. Yeah. And technically it was it was superior to the PS2, right? I mean it was released after the PS2. And as we talked about with the Nintendo 64, which used cartridges and the GameCube used discs, but they still were holding on to their whole, you know, piracy. We do it and, our way,
0: sort of. Yeah, way. And yeah. so they
1: actually used the like miniature discs, which not a lot of people know was actually a standard thing. They weren't like ni- GameCube only discs. They were, you know, you can you can get those things. And actually, sometimes you would get them as like driver discs for things that you bought. China yeah. yeah y-
0: you find when you buy like small like webcams or something, yeah. they come with these mini discs. And if you look into most traditional CD drives or like DVD drives now, they do have a small little indent within that tray to fit those small discs in.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that actually helped reduce load times because by the disc being uh, smaller but still fairly high density, the little seek head on the CD drive didn't have to move so far. Yeah, which sounds like a really kind of simple fix, but it being smaller did make it quicker. It made a huge <laughs> difference, right? Like the GameCube load times compared to the PS2, were, you know, it had yeah, such shorter load times.
0: The other thing as well, which the GameCube was quite proud or the Nintendo, I should say, was quite proud of, was that this is this console had their graphics chipset developed by ATI. Oh, um, yeah. This was back before they were obtained by AMD as well, so there was still a very own, kind of very specific gamer-orientated graphics company. Mm. Uh, and they were very proud of that. And the graphical capability of the GameCube cannot be snorted. at. Like, you look at some of the um, tech stuff they showed off at like their own... Um, was it Space World? Yes, and like, uh, t- is it TGC like Tokyo Game Show? Yeah. No, TGS, sorry, TGS. yeah. And they showed off things like was it Mario 128? I think, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, and that had 128 distinct models all reacting to the environment individually from each other, mm. which in 2002 was pretty impressive considering. Before that, you'd had like the blocky animation of the PlayStation and Nintendo 64. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And in fact, it showed that it was, you know, so technically uh, advanced because the Nintendo Wii, the next console, was basically the same. There was a lot of shared, uh, you know, hardware under yeah. the hood because they were actually quite similar consoles, um, just, which just shows that,
0: you know, hardware just isn't everything. No, it's really not. And one of the things that made that the case was that the, the console was surprisingly easy to develop for um but the problem with it was and this is one of the things that i think made the gamecube maybe a bit of a weak contender especially in the gamer market was nintendo just wasn't willing to let more developers do what they wanted with their console did
1: they no exactly i mean there were just there were just so few games for the gamecube and so many of them were first party and in fact it's actually really telling that when you look at the You know, the Nintendo 64 had GoldenEye in its top five, um, which was not made by Nintendo. It was made by Rare. But then when you look at the GameCube top five games, they are all first party titles, which is a harking back to the Game Boy, which was all first party titles in the top five. You know, it's like you've taken a step back it was all about the first party titles again and and the world had moved on in 2002 beyond beyond that being the case it was no longer yeah. that kind of race you know Sega have, have gone by this point you know you, the Dreamcast is, is not in the picture for very long and so it's not all about the company's games and their consoles at the
0: same time you know yeah people wanted third party interesting games yeah exactly And that definitely did show, unfortunately. Uh, Like, when you could go and get so many different style of games on the PlayStation and the the Xbox, the GameCube was, if you don't really want another nintendo game you were, you won't have much choice otherwise mm. uh, and the games it had were absolutely phenomenal like don't get me wrong like it had super smash brothers melee which is the best-selling one in it which you've put down here is seven million copies sold mm. which is probably the amount of game Cubes that were sold <laughs> yeah, exactly uh, you know like <laughs> even now melee is considered like the the epitome of the yeah. the super smash bros genre i mean it's still played competitively today Exactly, over some of the more recent ones. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, And then and you also had um, Mario Kart Double Dash. Interestingly, actually, you've got games like Mario Kart Double Dash and Super Mario Sunshine were both games that, and actually Luigi's Mansion as well. You know, you've got three games there where Nintendo were trying to do something a bit different with their formula. And while they were the most, you know, the best-selling games on the console, this is relatively speaking, you know, to a console that just didn't do very well. You know, and those games, again, it's like Nintendo trying to do
0: things a bit differently. And just with the GameCube, the, just aspects of that just didn't work. It makes you think, right? Imagine if Nintendo weren't always trying to be kind of interesting and quirky. If they just buckled down, did what was going to sell properly like Sony did. Do you imagine what they'd be like today? Like. Mm. But then again, maybe then you wouldn't have had the Wii. Yeah. And that sold a billion versions. And
1: you wouldn't have, you know, maybe analog sticks would have come around later and rumble yeah. functionality and, you know, all of those kinds of things that Nintendo have given us, you know, by by really, you know, looking for i feel like we're just we're just gushing gushing about nintendo so much right now for Sure, but
0: in all <laughs> fairness like that's what this joint choice is all about it like, is the nintendo gamecube was a very flawed console It didn't sell very well it had a fairly small library of games on the grand scale of things but we love it yeah. like we bought them on the release we had um star wars rogue leader as the game of oh the choice God. when it came out <laughs> absolutely phenomenal so game. Good. it was so pretty i mean it is so pretty yeah. if you go back and watch footage of it now other than the fair fairly low anti-aliasing on it which is one of the problems with it it's such a pretty game even mm. back then yeah you know? definitely. and it just it holds a very special place in my heart it's yeah. been my first true console that i got for myself and was something that i was I invested in from the get-go and it had some absolutely classic games on it and it had some kind of weirder games on it as well like um, you know it changed things up with legend of zelda or wind waker mm. which, became, which became a real cult hit once they Got over the initial shock value of it, <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. So, like the GameCube, it has a large, long legacy as well. Like, like you say, uh, it was like kind of like the the, the dad to the Wii mm. uh, in a lot of ways. So, it deserves a lot more credit and a lot more discussion than I think feel it gets.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And all of these consoles that we've t- that we've talked about are really great consoles, and every. V- console every video game console has a special place in people's hearts or you know has something about it that makes it different you know there was so much innovation in all of these um even the ones that we haven't talked about and so maybe you have a particular console that is you know has a special place in your heart or something particularly quirky about it that you're like it's just so cool that it did this i, d- I wish i could think of a good example but i can't think
0: well of i mean you've got things like the the, the sega saturn and the 32x yeah. i mean like they didn't sell very well in europe no in north america i believe but they saw very well in europe mm. if i remember that's the way around so maybe you were one of those and you were you were you were a sega guy maybe you that were that one of those those saturn owners <laughs> and, oh <laughs> dirty sega people um, you know and maybe that was your game console that you fell in love yeah. with i mean let us know because i it's one of those things we say this all the time in the episodes and we do want you to let us know But it'd be interesting to hear your story on it more than your opinion on it. Because I feel this is one of those things where sentimental value is almost as important, if not more so, than the technical specifications of these consoles. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, So yeah, do let us know. You can email us at show at octal.fm. You can tweet us, although you probably can't really tell us a story. I mean, you could chain it up, I guess. We're we're at octal.fm on Twitter. Uh, And don't forget to go back on our website if you haven't already and listen to some of our other episodes. What episode would be good to follow on from us talking about video games consoles?
0: Oh, that's a very good question. I mean, we, we discussed things like community management earlier, with things like the demo disc, which are a very big part of kind of like the the sixth generation of consoles, which I feel is a very big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about like our favourite uh, Zelda game as well was probably uh, is probably another you know, good. Yeah, it's and quite Nintendo focused episode, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, and also the our discussion about real time strategy games as well. um If you're looking for more discussions about pc games rather than console games um and we just... should
0: probably have an episode like about pc gaming yeah. or something along those lines because we had our lan episode yeah that's so that true, were very actually. specific so we should give some love to the pc players yeah absolutely we definitely should
1: but yeah, so go and visit our website octal.fm uh, listen to some old episodes and don't forget to subscribe as well um maybe leave a review in itunes
0: helps the show a lot yeah if it does do. it really does like we say it and i know you're sick of hearing it from everybody but it does make a difference it does. um and it definitely helps like we've had a little bit of feedback from a few people so far and it makes our day and it gives us some genuine constructive criticism to work on as well like what we want to add what we want to change about the show so yeah, yeah. yeah please do definitely um but yeah that's it catch us again for another episode of octal fm soon Today on Octel FM, we discuss video game consoles and which one of them are our favourite. Nah, that's a bit rubbish. Today on Octel FM, we talk about our favourite games consoles throughout the years and discuss what we think makes them interesting. I don't like the fact that I was high pitched in that one. Like I went up, a, I went up a key. Oh, on there. We'll go the opposite way. Today on Oxl FM, we talk about our favourite games consoles throughout the years and discuss what we think makes them interesting.
1: might as well just start the timer once I finish my intro because otherwise it's like it's just unreliable.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> you go and restart and restart and restart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, and I think. That... I'm not sure if you wanted to say anything there. Beg your pardon. You don't have to say anything if you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, wait. I was uh, just going to pause in case you wanted no, to say anything. No no, no. no, no, there's nothing I want to say. So anymore. I'll carry on then. Go for it.